2: What is up, everybody? It's Wednesday night, 7.30, a few minutes after. Apologies, as usual. I uh, I thought I would get here in time, doing a quick hit, to talk UFC 264 with my buddy Sneaky Joe DiBiase over on WGR 550. But this is the Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast, back in your life on a Wednesday night. Uh, we got a guest tonight, Ryan. It's going to be, uh, we're going to bring on uh, Danny Reed, uh he covered Matt Breda and Tyler Bass down at Georgia Southern. He's the play by play voice there. And we are going to talk all things those two with him. But it feels good to be back in the saddle here. Mr. Ryan Talbot. Uh how you feel, my friend?
1: Hey, I'm feeling great. It is good to be back last week on vacation. So uh miss doing this with you. So happy to be back in the saddle.
2: Yeah. I, I, we had a couple comments like where's where's shout? It's like Hey, man, we, we, we got all year long. We got to get Ryan a little uh, vacation time, Get went up to the Poconos. I saw some, it looked like you guys had a good time. What was the highlight of the trip?
1: I'm a Harry Potter nerd, so we found this uh, Harry Potter coffee shop about 30 minutes away, and we made sure to go there on our last full day there. But it was my wife's entire side of the family, so about 18 of us crammed in this Airbnb. It made for an interesting trip nonetheless.
2: That is very awesome. It's good to get away. We got a couple uh, uh, trips here lined up over the next month. I'm excited about it. As always, back in the fold this season, Tops Friendly Markets, your neighborhood store with more. Uh, back sponsoring the Shout Podcast, uh, Tops Fresh Burger Bar with over 30 varieties of beef, turkey, chicken, plant based. And gourmet blend burgers ready to grill. Top's Fresh Burger Bar has you smiling all summer long. I grilled up some uh, Italian sausages the other day; they were delicious. Minio and Sapio every time. Hopefully, we can get you guys up to the uh, Casa this summer. I know Owen; he's he's been talking. He's been putting some words. Another trip out to the to the Perino house, uh, and we'll cook some uh, we'll cook some stuff from Top's.
1: Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, Uh, my son Owen said the number one thing you want to do this summer was visit the Perinos, so we'll definitely put that on our to-do list and get that checked off at some point.
2: Well, I I seem to remember the last time you were here, my son putting on his Harry Potter glasses and them playing around with some wands. So, uh, yeah, more of that on the way. All right, first topic tonight. The NFL, uh, very slow time of the year, obviously, not a lot of news, um, as we are kind of in that dead time between – the end of mini camp and the start of training camp, the NFL actually uh, sparked some conversation this past week with a little meme, a little graphic that they put out. And it basically said, choose your AFC East all-star offense. And they gave you an option of four quarterbacks, four running backs, four wide receivers, and four tight ends. And you had to mix and match, match and make your, um, your team. Now, it doesn't say it on the graphic, but on on the post itself, it says pick one player from each AFC East squad. So you can, you know, you could have gone at it two ways. You could either pick two players or or four players, uh, not based on team, or pick four players, uh, one from each squad. And you know, Ryan, it, it got it got people very curious and, and talkative on social media this la- last week. And I thought maybe the the funnest one was around the tight end spot. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But I wanted to get into it a little bit, and I want to bring up the graphic in a second, just about like the toughest decisions as you're kind of going through this list when you're trying to figure it out. Because I feel like right off the bat, you look at the quarterbacks, Josh Allen, Tua Tagovailoa, uh, Zach Wilson, and Cam Newton. That's a pretty easy one with Josh Allen and then maybe Stephon Diggs at wide receiver. What would you say is, was the toughest one for you, maybe between two guys?
1: Well, the, the toughest one for me was when I had to follow the rules and you had to pick one from each team because originally you're right. It, it's Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, no thought process needed there. Uh, so if I'm following the rules, I'm taking Josh Allen over Stephon Diggs for the Bills player, and then you have to look at wide receiver. And, and the toughest call actually came down to who do I take out of those choices there? And I ended up going with Corey Davis, mostly because of who is not listed. I did not like the Dolphins selection being Jalen Waddell. I think Devontae Parker is a very talented wide receiver. I would have put him in that spot. Uh, You could make a case for Will Fuller as well. So, and even at that tight end spot, they they went with Hunter Henry, who's very talented. Don't get me wrong, but no John Smith there. Um, So, you know, wide receiver was my toughest call if I was following the rules, and I would actually go with Devontae Parker, if he had been included in the graphic,
2: that's that. It's very interesting. And I, first of all, I, I I think things like this are are super fun. And I think to your point, Devonte Parker not being there is interesting. And I think this goes back to the draft a little bit on Waddle. Like I, when they took him, and and it, there seemed to be a pocket of of folks that thought this was going to be an instant connection. He is going to walk in day one. To uh, uh Jalen Waddell played together at Alabama, it's gonna be fireworks from the start. I really think there are super high expectations on Jalen Waddell, and I think this is an indication uh that of, of those expectations. Now it's tough. I I, I know Nelson Aguilar uh was, was posted there as the top receiver option from the Patriots. And if you look across that skilled position spot, even Hunter Henry, I mean for me it was a little bit uh lackluster you know looking at the patriots options and i think that's one of the reasons why it's so tough to pick the patriots to be that number 2 maybe top team in the afc east top foil for the bills but i, I i'm going to go to devin singletary and miles gaskin for me as the toughest call i think that for me it would be singletary i know a lot of people like uh, miles gaskin i actually had him on my fantasy team but i um i like what devin singletary offers from a versatility perspective and i also think you look at something like this how does a player fit in with what you want to do and maybe you know from that perspective maybe you would want to go with gaskin who i think is a little bit more sure-handed but i don't know like i'm i'm pretty bullish on these guys still singletary and knox and we're going to talk about him in a minute i know that there's been a lot of you know um not a lot of enthusiasm around Devin Singletary over the last year. And, you know, we've talked about it on the show quite a bit, but I still think if you look around this division, Gaskin included, I think some of the brightest moments in the NFL, you know, for in each of these players' careers, you know, you can look to Devin Singletary and argue that, you know, he's had maybe the brightest moments. You go back to his rookie season, you know, where he had an eight-game stretch where turned in a couple hundred-yard games or close to – and uh, you know, was running the rock with with pretty regularity, uh, gaining yards. I think he was, what was he at there? 5.5 yards a carry uh, at the end of his rookie season, ranking in the top 10 in the NFL. So I think that that guy's still in there somewhere. And if you get the best version of Devin Singletary, I'm taking that.
1: Yeah, I think that's a fair argument to make, especially like you said, after his rookie season, finishing with such a high yard per carry average, getting a little bit more opportunities there. Uh, Miles Gaskin, as impressive as he was last season, um, there's still some work to be done there. You don't know what you have in Tevin Coleman. Uh, You don't trust Patriots with their running backs because they'll go with one guy one week and then they switch it up every other week, it feels like. So definitely an interesting argument to be had at the running back position. But also shines a light that uh, also on maybe how that running back position uh, pales to a lot of other divisions in the NFL in terms of the talent that the AFC East has compared to some of these other divisions out there where there's some really loaded uh, divisions in terms of the running back position.
2: So let me get into, (laughs) I put out a tweet uh, when I saw this meme and I think people misconstrued it a little bit. So I I basically said, I, I, I prefaced it and I said, hot take alert. I think that Dawson Knox – I would not be surprised if Dawson Knox ends up turning in the best statistical season of the four uh, tight ends listed on this graphic. And that's Mike Gusecki from Miami, Hunter Henry from New England, and Chris Herndon from the New York Jets. And I think without maybe reading that or thinking about it, a lot of people reacted to it saying that I would take Dawson Knox over those other three players. And at this point – I think I I think I'd probably take Gesicki and Hunter Henry over Dawson Knox I think that there'd be a fun conversation uh, in terms of Herndon and Knox based on what they've already done in the league I'm more talking about projection and when you're talking about projection in an ele- in, in, in a game where it, it comes down to 11 players on the field at one time executing together I like Dawson Knox's chances in this Bills offense better than any of those other players in any of those other AFC East offenses. You go back and look at Mike Gusecki last year. Listen, he had, he had a good season, uh, you know, by all accounts. I mean, he was really ripping it up with Ryan Fitzpatrick, had one really good game with Tua where he caught two touchdown passes, but the production dropped off a little bit as Tua was trying to figure things out. So I think that there's the potential, not only for the production to drop off a little bit because of Tua, but also the other added weapons in that offense. You got Devontae Parker coming back. You're adding Will Fuller, an established you know receiver who was getting number one type of targets in uh, Houston last season, and the rookie, Jalen Waddle, who I think you can make an argument going into this thing, he can lead the team in targets based off expectations for him. Then you go down to New England, and it's anybody's guess how that offense is going to look. You got Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry, both of whom are probably going to eat into the other's target share, and they're going to be a run-first offense. You know, if, if Cam Newton's starting this, this season, they're going to re- rely on Damian Harris, James White, who's back in the mix. So I'm not willing to say that either one of those two players, even though John U. Smith and Hunter Henry are good players, that they're going to rip it up up on the stat sheet. And then the New York Jets and Zach Wilson, you know, a big fat question mark.
1: Yeah, I think you really pointed out a lot of of the things that I was going to mention, but look at those three quarterbacks that you're talking about. Zach Wilson, rookie. As talented as he may end up being, they're probably going to try to lean on the run, be a pretty balanced team in in 2021, which takes away from the pass-catching positions. And and when you look at the tight end as well, Chris Herndon's kind of fallen off a cliff. There was a time where a lot of people thought he was going to be an X-factor For Sam Darnold and it just never came to be as is you did add some talented pass catchers there but I think there would be more of a balanced offense the Patriots who knows what's going to happen there Cam Newton really struggled throwing the ball as the year went on uh you mentioned the fact that there's two talented tight ends that are going to carve into each other's production and the same thing in Miami you know Tua had his ups and downs as a rookie I think Miami's going to want to protect him a little bit You're going to want to balance it out, add some running factors, and then, like you said, they have quite a wide receiver arsenal themselves. So who's going to get the production? Who's going to get the workload? Well, I can't sit here and say it's going to be Dawson Knox above those other tight ends because the Bills also have a loaded uh, wide receiver room. But of all those offenses, who's going to throw the ball the most? The Buffalo Bills, based on what we've seen. So in that light, I see where you're coming from with this Dawson Knox take.
2: Here's another little, little tidbit for you. In their last 12 games, and obviously for Dawson Knox, that counts three playoff games last year, Mike Gesicki and Dawson Knox, same number of touchdowns. Just throwing that out there. Just a little tidbit there. I, I get it. Mike Gesicki is a better player at this stage. But I've also liked a lot of what we've learned about Dawson Knox over this offseason. I've gotten a chance to spend a lot of time talking to him and, and kind of diving into his approach this offseason. And, you know, in projecting and talking about what's, you know, your expectations are, a lot of that's baked into those kinds of takes because, you know, for for a lot of players, you know, I go back to, you know, Calvin Benjamin is a guy that, you know, fans were frustrated with. And while I always appreciated his willingness to talk, I always question if, you know, if he was maybe doing everything that he can to become a better football player. You know what question you don't have to ask when you're talking about Dawson Knox? If he's doing everything he can to become a better football player. I can tell you right now, point blank, no bones about it. He is doing that. I'm so excited to see what the results of this tight end university are when we get a chance to catch back up with Dawson Knox. He obviously spent the offseason doing all the hand-eye coordination stuff that has been – I I wrote a story up on that. And just his, you know, more development with with Josh Allen. I think that, you know, he could find himself – with a larger role in this offense, if he could stay healthy and on the field, I think in, in short spurts, when he was given chances last year, he did make a few plays. So we will see. I don't think it's as crazy as a take as a lot of people made have might've have thought once you start to think about it, but we'll see uh, as we move forward. Also in the news, Ryan, surprise, surprise. And keel Harry, Harry um, wide receiver, former first round draft pick of the new England Patriots, his, agent came out this week and said that they have requested a trade. He has put in a trade request with the new England Patriots. I'm not going to read the statement out here, uh, but, but basically long story short, we were reading it before we went on the air. You know, he is a playmaker according to uh, his agent uh, with a proven track record of making big time plays. And he just hasn't been giving, given the opportunities in new England, new England to make those plays. And they want a fresh start for him. What is your takeaway from this news?
1: Well, I have two takeaways. One, in college, Harry was the focal point of that passing offense. And when you're the focal point and you build an offense around a specific player, things look a lot different. The New England Patriots are not going to build their offense around Nikhil Harry. No NFL team is going to build their offense around Nikhil Harry. He has trouble creating separation. He's good at the point of attack. There's some things that he can do, but he is very limited in terms of his NFL skill set. Some things just don't transfer over to the NFL game. And number two, I feel like it's one of those, you can't fire me, I quit scenarios. And, and, and in football <laughs> terms, hey, this guy might get caught. Oh, no, I'm not going to get caught. I'm demanding a trade. I'm going to come out first and say, I want to be traded so that way if they do release me because there's no takers, I say face because it was me who wanted to get away from them. I don't know. That's my kind of thoughts on that matter.
2: No, I, I think that there's a lot of excuse making in this scenario. You know, I think that it hasn't worked out. I think... Part of me for feels bad for Harry in the sense that they drafted him. He comes in year one. He was banged up a little bit. It was that last year of Tom Brady and it was kind of a mess. And then they transitioned to Cam Newton and there was some Jared Stidham thrown in there and there was the shoulder issues and there was the inconsistency. So there, it has been, you know, um, problematic in terms of, you know, what's been around him, but, at the end of the day you, you have to produce somehow and and maybe a fresh start makes sense for both of these sides i don't know how much the patriots are going to be able to get in a trade for N. Kill harry but the fact that you know going into the season no matter where you kind of had N. Kill harry ranked on their depth chart or what your expectations were for production that's a piece of this offense that you know that's a hole that's going to have to be filled and i say that because you look around the rest of that receiver room and it's not uh, flush with talent. I mean, we're not sitting here talking about Pro Bowl caliber wide receivers. They're, they're filling in with a lot of different role players. I think that they might have grander expectations for Nelson Aguilar than a lot of other people do. I think he's a good player. He has high upside, but in the right situation. You look at last season, you know, De- De- Derek Carr was flinging the ball down the field to Nelson Aguilar. They were making big-time plays down the field. I'm still giving, holding out hope. I don't even, I'm, I don't hope, I don't care, but I, I'm still saying that there's an opportunity for Cam Newton to find some type of um, reclamation, if you can, to get back on track. I don't know where the arm strength is, but even if it gets back to a passable level, I don't think he's going to be attacking and, and threatening downfield where Nelson Aguilar did a lot of his damage last year. So just the way that that offense is constructed. I don't see how they're going to be effective in a division with three defenses, two established ones and the dolphins and the bills who are really, really good. And for the dolphins probably going to be better. And I expect the bills to be better than they were last year. And then a New York jets team whose front seven looks more than formidable.
1: Yeah. The jets are probably one of the most improved teams in this league. Now, mind you, they were far behind the other teams in the AFCs and a lot of teams in the NFL just based solely on their final record last year. So you, you expect teams like that to improve. Uh, it, it is going to be interesting. And, and your Cam Newton argument spot on. And when it comes to a guy like Nelson Aguilar and that wide receiver room in general, Aguilar's never had problems creating separation downfield. Uh, in Philadelphia, it was just the kind of the hands and, and catching the ball reeling it in last year. He had a really nice year with the Raiders, which led to a payday this this upcoming season or this season with the Patriots. So he's kind of bounced back, but does he fit with that quarterback? That's the million-dollar question. Uh, and unless Cam Newton really turns things around, I don't see those two being a some kind of dynamic duo. Now, maybe Mac Jones utilizes him better. Who knows? But time will tell there in terms of when the Patriots are ready to make that transition.
2: Indeed. We're going to um, talk... About one more thing before we bring on our guest, uh, but before we do, hey man, we, we gotta we gotta pay the bills here. Let's get into another uh, Tops uh, read. Tops loves local. Tops is proud to partner with over two hundred local growers to supply Tops with their freshest homegrown fruits and vegetables. Produce picked this morning can be on your table tonight. Check it out. All right, Ryan, <laughs> you put up a story the other day. Uh, Another story on Zach Ertz. Another story on an insider predicting Zach Ertz to the Buffalo Bills. And I got to say, as soon as I saw it come across my timeline, it it came with a very big eye roll. Not that you wrote it, because I thought that it it had to be discussed. It had to be put out there. I mean, this is a guy that's in the Philadelphia Eagles ecosystem who's putting out that he's hearing. Although, if you go back and read the story, the the quote itself was all over the place. It makes you think, what is this guy even talking about? He basically said, I have no inside information, but hey, a a deal between the Bills and the Eagles for Zach Ertz is imminent. It's close. How tired are you of this whole storyline? At this point, do you just hope that it goes away forever? (laughs)
1: Uh, yes and no. The next time I'll, I'll write about Zach Ertz as if the trade actually happens. No more rumors, no more stories. Mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of done with it. I was telling you earlier, I'm done with that. Uh, there's just certain storylines that have been played out now at this point in time. And yeah, the voice of the Eagles said, he said it was close. It was imminent. And he did end up saying that, that the video that was shared on YouTube was shared last week, but it had been, uh, taped a, a few weeks prior to that. But at the same time, when someone out, comes out there and says that it's interesting, and you're right, his quote was all over the place. It turns out maybe he was just reading articles that said the Bills were were close. But, you, you know, listen, I, I feel like if the Bills really wanted Zach Ertz, it, a deal would have been done by now. Um, if the Eagles really wanted to get rid of Zach Ertz in that contract, they would have unloaded it via trade or release by now. The latest thing about Ertz is he's going to reportedly show up for training camp Uh, With the Eagles. So we'll see if that's the case. We'll see if that takes place. And if that does happen, maybe he doesn't go anywhere in 2021 or or maybe he's just being a good soldier until they do trade him because of the cap space scenario. But the the Bills have cap space. They might just be sitting on that one while they work on a Josh Allen uh, extension or two maybe they wait and see how things develop in training camp. And, and maybe then they say, okay, we need to bring in another cornerback for competition. We need position X, Y, or Z. And that's what they can use their cap space towards. So, you know, I, I know when the bills freed up that money, it looked like, oh, maybe this trade's going to take place now. Nothing's happened yet. I, I'm just not waiting on it anymore. If it officially happens, I'll be happy to write two, three, four, five stories on Zach Ertz. But for now, let's put that one on the back burner.
2: I was listening to the Ross uh, Tucker football podcast a few weeks ago. He had Greg Cosell on and they were doing their AFC East preview. Definitely recommend the pod. I love Ross Tucker has a lot of good guests on. I love when he has Greg Cosell on a lot of good football uh, talk uh, Two highly intellectual guys on the game. And, you know, Greg Cosell brought up a great point. He, he, he's very, um, you know, he questioned the fit of Ertz in this offense and he did so because it's a vertical passing game, you know, a lot of their concepts really attack down the field and Zach Ertz at this stage in his career is probably like a glorified possession receiver. And you know, one of the things that makes Dawson Knox so um interesting in terms of the potential is his ability to separate. And I think that this regime still values that. I think that's why they went out and got Jacob Hollister. I think if you go back and watch some of his successful moments in Seattle, it's when he's been able to, you know, use that quickness to get some separation. And I think in this offense, you gotta—it's almost like, uh, you know, it's a prerequisite. You know, you can't take uh, English 201 until you you pass 101. And to get there, you have to have a separation ability. And I think in this offense right now, I'm not so sure Zach Ertz would provide that. Would he be a sure-handed receiver? most likely. And I think, you know, Ross Tucker made that point that, you know, I, you get him in the offense. Maybe he makes some key plays down the stretch. We'll see what happens, but you know, I, I definitely recommend going and get that. And it looks like Ryan is uh, frozen here because uh, apparently a thunderstorm uh, hit their house. So I'm going to bring in our guest real quick here. <laughs> oh, man. What's great? Okay, so Danny, I'll, I'll introduce you uh, in a moment. I'll actually let you uh, give yourself the introduction so I don't mess anything up. Uh, about a year ago, we were doing a show, and my internet kicked off, and I was basically frozen. Like, I like got a real goofy face. <laughs> to, to this day, Ryan has kept it as his Twitter cover photo. <laughs> And so now I'm going to go back to the tape here and uh, let me get him in here. I'm messing all this up here. There we go. And I'm going to bring that back in here. Uh, maybe I'll make that my cover photo. But Danny Reed is in the house, play-by-play voice of the Eagles, Georgia Southern Eagles. Uh, we got to talk about a couple of Bills players that are from your neck of the woods. Thank you so much for jo- joining us, man. How are you?
0: I uh, appreciate you guys having me. It's uh, great to actually get on and get to talk with you about a couple of guys that meet a lot of people down here. And we've got a storm that's rolling through here, so I hope that I don't freeze at some point over the next few minutes so I don't become some kind of Twitter meme or something like that.
2: <laughs> hey, nothing's off the table for our show. Um, <laughs> Daniel in the comments says, hey, it's okay. Ryan is just in deep thought right now because he, he did look like he was he was putting a lot of thought into that Zach Ertz conversation. <laughs> So, you cover uh, your play by play voice for uh, Georgia Southern. Obviously, Tyler Bass, uh, now going into his second year with the Bills, was really an unbelievable story last year. And he had himself a a really tough competition in camp last year. And I think actually we might be able to get uh, Mr. Talbot back in here. Let me see. Um, If he wants to, it's up to him. I know, right? Let me see if I can get him back in here. Are, are, Are you okay,
1: buddy? Wicked thunderstorm knocked out our internet. <laughs> it's
2: always something. Hey, you're hanging in there, man. Well, I was telling him the story of the of when it froze on me, and oh, yeah. you made it your cover photo. Now I got some material for you.
0: <laughs>
2: All right, so Danny, uh, Tyler oh, awesome. Bass comes into camp last year and he's got to take out Stephen Hauschka, not only the veteran who's made big kicks in this league, big kicks in the playoffs and the Super Bowl but a guy that was revered in the locker room and it was, you know, going in, I remember doing these podcasts like during this time of the year and most people were projecting him to lose that competition. Um, I think I, I even did at one point uh, to be honest with you, but once we got to training camp, you saw very early on, he was, there was no fear. There was no um, being overwhelmed in the moment. I did a, a really cool story where I got to talk to, his college kicking coach. I think that's where we first maybe connected, um, which was a really awesome story about, you know, teaching how he taught him and how, you know, he kind of separates himself from all the kickers that he's covered over the year. Who is Tyler Bass to you?
0: Tyler Bass is one of the most competent people. I know that doesn't mean just for kickers. That means for anybody, any sport, any walk of life, we kind of saw it early on in 2015. Now, granted, he had the red shirt that year because Youngway Koo was still here, and now Youngway Koo's a pro bowler for the Falcons, so this is becoming kicker U in Statesboro. He gets a chance early on in 16. He was kicking extra points in that season opener against Savannah State, but Koo was still the kicker that year, was an All-American, went 19 out of 20. And then Bass comes on in 17, and to be honest with you, 17 was not a good season for Georgia Southern, went 2-10 the worst season that the program has ever seen. But Bass was a reason why it didn't go completely in the tank. He was 15 of 19 that year. 2018, he goes 19 out of 20. And then he hits a school record 20 field goals his senior season in 2019. There was not a moment that he couldn't meet. Anything that he was asked to do, he would take a lot of pride in making tackles, especially on kickoff. And for somebody that He put on about 25 pounds from the time he got here to the time that he graduated. He took a lot of pride in being a bulked up kicker, but he let his leg do the talking more often than not. And the fact that he had as much success as he did up with you guys as quickly as he did was not a shock to anybody. The roots were Georgia Southern. They almost expected it. If if he would have been the backup, that would have been the surprise for people that have watched him down here for the last five years.
1: So uh, the Bills really value special teams in general, not just from the field goal kicking perspective. And and in today's NFL, Tyler Bass brings a whole whole nother fast to the game in terms of uh, kicking the ball out of the end zone. Why do you think that I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of how I want to deliver this one, but what, why is he going to be such a focal point? I recently did an article on the 10 most important bills for the future. And I had him in my top 10 list. So how big of a role can he have on the future success of the Bills?
0: Well, to go back about his ability to knock the ball out of the end zone on kickoffs, he led the country in touchback percentage here three years ago. He was top 10 two other years. So from the standpoint of Georgia Southern special teams being so good, he was such a big reason. Why? Not because whenever he was on the field, he could score, but he also made sure that the other team's kickoff return unit was basically a moot point. But the fact that whenever he is on the field, I'll go back to something I just said. When he's on the field, there is a chance to score, whether it's an extra point or whether it's a field goal. We know that he can kick them from 30 just like he can from 55. Saw that in the playoffs. So proud of him to see the kind of impact that he did and then to get all the way to the AFC championship in just his first season. But for somebody like that in you can't say that about anybody else on the field. Now you can say from an athleticism standpoint that guys that will touch the ball on offense, oh, he can score anytime he touches the ball. No, literally every time Bass is on the field, he's either keeping you from doing your thing offensively or he's trying to score points. So that's how his importance cannot be understated. And as good as he was last year, I hope that he gets a chance to play in the Pro Bowl this year. I hope he gets a chance to go to the Super Bowl. I, I think that the – the beginning for him is just, the, just describes the surface.
2: I, I I have a question about uh, a message you sent me, but before I do, last thing on Tyler specifically. You know, he kind of walks around with the the one eye black, and oh. some of his teammates have talked about the obvious swagger that everybody gets off of Tyler. Can you kind of shine a light on that a little bit? Maybe any stories about. You know, where that swagger comes from or any examples of it down uh, at Georgia Southern, because, you know, obviously we talked about him being a confident guy, but, you know, he, he walks a certain way and he's got some swag. Yeah.
0: It, it's just who he is. If he happens to miss a kick, which doesn't happen very often, he's fine. He'll still go back out, and knock a 50 yarder. He'll still come back and flex. And he started a thing down here. He would rock, paper, scissors with his holder and with his snapper. And those three had a really special relationship for three years. They had a chance to work together. But it's not him being this, oh, look at me. That's just who the guy is. When he's on the field, he's going to do his job. If he has to make a tackle, he's going to do that. He made quite a few tackles during the four years that he was an active part of this team. But it's not something where he's trying to make it about him. It's just that he's so good at what he does. It just becomes that way, if that makes any sense.
2: Definitely, definitely. Um, you said uh, in one of our text exchanges, um, there's a lot of Bills fans now down in Georgia. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, with Tyler and now Matt Breida, who we'll talk about in a moment. You know, what what is that like? Because you know, obviously, uh, I went to a smaller school here, the University of Buffalo, and sure. you know, before I started covering the team, and from a fan perspective, wherever Khalil Mack went, I kind of became <laughs> a de facto fan of. Um, you know, Raiders for a little while. And then obviously, you know, the bears now I, co- I cover the league. So it's a little bit different, but you know, for you guys down there, when you have, when you place a guy in, in a, in a, in a team, I'm sure it's, it's, you, you kind of gravitate towards that, but what's it like? And what's been the impressions of bills mafia down in Georgia? <laughs>
0: Number one, I'm glad we never had to deal with Khalil Mack. Number two, I'm glad that we don't have to see Zach Wilson this year because we host BYU in November. So more than happy that you guys get to see him at least (laughs) twice a year starting this year. But for the guys most recently that have had a chance to make the NFL, you're talking J.J. Wilcox, Youngway, Antoine Williams with Brita and now with Tyler, wherever guys go, it's coast to coast. People down here wear blue and white religiously, whether it's football season or not football season. Those are the true seasons once you get to this part of Georgia, but you'll see a lot of Bill's jerseys going around town. You'll see Falcon jerseys anyway, but the fact that young Wake who was a pro bowler just adds to it that much more. This is a smaller environment. Statesboro is a town about 45 minutes from Savannah. It's about to 25 to 30,000 people, depending on who's counting. But It's football crazy. It is an SEC-style environment. It's just about a quarter of the size. You would go to LSU or Georgia or anywhere like that, you would feel the same kind of passion and enthusiasm. But because this place, in a span of 40 years, has six national championships, 11 conference titles – And all the guys that have gone to the end, Tracy Ham played here, ended up being the Canadian Hall of Fame. Fred Stokes was an offensive lineman here before getting drafted by Washington, moving to the defensive side and winning a Super Bowl when I was six years old. And yes, that was one of the last good memories I have of the now Washington (laughs) football team. But wherever guys go after they spend time here, you are an eagle for life, regardless of what the jersey says if you have a chance to play professionally.
1: Now, you mentioned Matthew Breida here in your last uh, response, and obviously he's joining a running back room uh, where he brings a different skill set from the speed yeah. perspective. But in addition to what he brings on the field, what are the Bills getting from Matt Breda, the person in the locker room?
0: Extremely humble guy. His backstory is absolutely remarkable. He was adopted. His parents, um, both uh, disabled But he actually grew up in Florida, so they had some difficulty trying to figure out what sports he was going to do growing up. And once he latched on to football, did some track and field, and of course the speed is what separated him. They just had a number of issues family-wise over the years, and for him to have the kind of success that he has had, he led the country in yards per carry here in 2014 and 2015. That was after being primarily a kickoff return guy in 2013. He had one carry The entire season. But then this guy wearing 36 in blue and white just explodes against Head C State in the 2014 opener, does the same against Georgia Tech. And it was every week. He was busting off 50, 60, 70 yard runs. It continued into 2015. You had the coaching change in 2016. But even still, his best game as a senior was during that old Miss game, which was on national television. But he would talk to anybody, extremely humble guy, soft-spoken. It's tough to get a lot out of him, but once he gets comfortable, he is somebody that is very different from Bass, but very similar to Bass. They're both very confident people. Bass is much more – outward about it, but and knows that once he gets to the second level, there's not very few people that are going to catch up to him. And I think he had the run, what was it, either a year or two ago where he was clocked at 22 or 23 miles per hour. A human being on the football field should be able to go that fast, but that's just an instance of what hopefully you guys will get to see this year.
2: Yeah, Brita, when he uh, did his introductory press conference, said that he had checked in with Tyler Bash just to get an idea of what it was like to play in Buffalo. And it's crazy to think about because you know obviously Ryan and I are from the area, and for a long time, I mean, there was Sports Illustrated exposés about you know how hard it was to recruit players to come to Buffalo, and yeah. you know Matt Barita, you know, is one example. Emmanuel Sanders is also another example, a Super Bowl <clears throat> winner who has Super Bowl ambition still, uh, chose Buffalo because of where he's landing, and I think in this offense. It provides veterans, especially guys that have produced in this league, have shown something in this league, an opportunity to replicate that or maybe even exceed that. So I guess my question about Brita is you look at what he did in San Francisco, and I I thought that, you know, obviously injuries played a role where, you know, I felt like he never got the momentum that might have carried him to a really unbelievable year. But what is his ceiling? What kind of things can he do, especially in a situation like this, similar to San Francisco, where he's going to be a part of that three-headed monster with Singletary Moss.
0: And towards the end of his tenure in San Francisco, he had some ball security issues, especially during the playoffs. And I think that was the beginning of the end of his time there. You had the draft day trade to send him to Miami, which was I'm sure great for him getting back to his home state. It's about a four hour trip to get to Brooksville. And even though he didn't last very long there, he's in a situation now where he's going to need some heavier clothes, but he's also in a situation where he's going to be able to win right now. And part of that, is with a loaded backfield, a talented backfield, somebody like Josh Allen who just exploded last year as good as the Buffalo defense was last year, you don't back in to the AFC championship game. And that has a way of getting people's attention. One thing I am excited to see about Brady, because that's something he didn't get a chance to do a lot here, is how they're going to use him as a receiver. You're running a version of the option in Statesboro – now, typically for Georgia Southern, it's the under center, flex bone, the variation of the wing T kind of deal. But adapting it to a shotgun style during his last two years in 14 and 15, things went a different direction in 16. It was kind of option. It was kind of pass. It, it depended on who the opponent was that week. But he was never really showcased out of the backfield as a receiver. So I'm interested to see how he'll be able – to identify with that role and maybe even know more about himself than he may know. Now, he, we all know he can run, but if he can catch and then run, that's a, quite a dimension when you can add what Singletary's already done.
1: You know, Danny, you mentioned the trade to Miami, and for whatever reason, that just didn't work out in terms of opportunities. 59 carries all of last season. Is Matt the type of player that's going to have a chip on his shoulder in terms of, I didn't get a chance to showcase what I could do uh, in Miami and now I get
0: to play them two times per year. That's something that I think that he's carried his entire life. He was not expected to do a whole lot growing up until people figured out that he could run. But even going into his college days, under recruited, he always had the speed, but people wondered if he was going to be able to put on the good weight to handle the kind of contact that was going to be necessary if he was going to be a football player. 13, didn't get used that much as a freshman. It was tough to crack that offense. But then in 14-15, you also got to remember, Georgia Southern made the move up from 1AAFCS football to the FBS in 2014, going to the Sun Belt Conference, and they took it by storm. They went 8-0, first team to ever go up a level, go undefeated in conference play, went 9-3 and overall, and he averaged almost nine yards a carry that year. His very first experience against NC State, he busts a 61-yard touchdown run in the second quarter. They're up two scores against an NC State team that is thinking, who Who is Georgia Southern? What, what's going on? This is how that season began, and it never really stopped for him. He kept racking up yards. He ended up getting close to 4,000 yards, in effect, which – was about three seasons worth of touching the football. But he's always been someone that is overlooked. Now, you could say, well, you're in the NFL. How can you be overlooked? Well, this is 13. So he's looking for to work somewhere. And if he can combine what he knows what he can do with the football, whether that's getting handoffs or that's out of the backfield, you got a chance to have something really special with him.
2: This was really great to catch up with you, my man. Uh, Some great stuff. Uh, Our fans in the comments, uh, great content. Thank you so much for your time. Why don't you let everybody know where they can find you, uh, maybe to keep track uh, of Georgia Southern, just in case there might be another player uh, on the way in the next couple of years in the draft.
0: We'll keep sedative your way if you guys want them. You can follow me on Twitter at GSEaglesVoice, and our season starts on September 4th. Gardner-Webb will be down here, hopefully with no masks, full stadiums, and as close Mm. to normal as we can. I know you guys are going back to full capacity, just like most other pro teams. But I'm, I'm really hoping that, one, we can find that normalcy that we had not too long ago, and, two, we can have some more guys make it to the NFL. And always happy to visit with you guys. Hopefully we can do it again.
2: Sounds great, Danny. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your summer, and we'll check in sometime this season. You got it, guys. Thanks a lot. Take care. All right, that was great. Yeah. Uh, Danny Reed uh, reached out to me right after Tyler Bass was drafted and uh, offered any insight or, or or his time to to talk about him. And I think this it's a cool you know uh, deal to check in with you know people that knew these guys before they became Bills, to kind of get into it a little bit. He might have thought that I didn't see it, but I saw our buddy, Matt Harmon, had a little comment here a little while ago. He wanted us to talk about Chris Sims' latest uh, comments, and we are going to get in that because you put up a story on that. But before we do, let me get this uh, last tops read out of the way. Guys, follow Tops on Instagram and share your plate. Share photos of your favorite summer recipes, and be sure to tag at Tops Markets T O P S M A R K E T S. Your photos could be featured on their Instagram page. So you're looking to gain some followers, get you know get get it shared over on the Tops page. I'm pretty sure I should. I'm so disappointed. We had a uh, we had a baseball uh, end of the year barbecue last night, and so. All the kids came out. We we brought the charcoal grill out. We were grilling. We um, I had some sausages from from Tops, and I should have taken a sweet picture of it, posted it on Instagram, I had my my photo featured. Missed uh, missed opportunity. Um, but why don't you tell them a little bit about that article you posted? Chris Sims had some not too nice things to say about Greg Rousseau and Boogie Basham.
1: Yeah, Football Morning America has had a series of guest writers for the past few weeks while Peter King is on mm-hmm. vacation. Uh, and this week, the guest writer spoke with Chris Sims about five players he thinks could uh, exceed expectations and then five players who could be disappointments or busts. And of his five players in that disappointing list or disappointment bust list, he had Buffalo's first two picks, uh, Rousseau and Boogie Basham. And when it came to Greg Rousseau, his comments were pretty much, when I watched the film, I did not see a top 30 player. Uh, a lot of the sacks were simply the product of the quarterback running into him or, or plays or other players kind of led the quarterback to him. Uh, and then when it came to Basham, he said he is the, one of the biggest boomer bust prospects in this draft. So it, it's interesting to always hear analysts and, and people, personalities, um, in terms of their opinions. Now, to Sims' credit, he's always been high on Josh Allen when that was not very popular to do. So he's allowed to have these opinions. He's allowed to have these takes. But at the same time, Buffalo has multiple coaches, scouts, front office personnel that puts in the due diligence. Now, that does not mean that every player that they draft is going to be a hit. That's just not how it works in the NFL. But they they felt good about Greg Rousseau. At the time, they had Dan Morgan, who was a Miami alum, who I'm sure networked with as many people as he could they talked to Manny Diaz to find out what kind of player he is and what kind of person he is. They, he checked all the boxes. And even when uh, the Bills put out their embedded, you saw how blown away uh, Eric Washington and Leslie Frazier were with him. So the Bills feel good about him. And at the end of the day, that's what's most important. It doesn't matter what Chris Sims thinks about a <laughs> Greg Rousseau. Now, if he ends up being right, he can pat himself on the back about it. But that's the beauty of these little articles and these little snippets that make these articles. Five years from now, most people aren't going to remember that he even said that. So if Rousseau ends up being an all-pro, a great player, no one's going to really uh, give him one of those freezing cold takes on it. And in terms of Basham, I was a little surprised with the boomer bust aspect of it, where I think most people think that he is more pro-ready day one than Rousseau. Uh, the versatility is there with both players, but again, at the end of the day, it's one analyst and his opinions.
2: Yeah. And it's an analyst who played quarterback and I like Chris Sims, but maybe if he if he was better at, at watching tape of defensive ends, he would have had a little more success as an NFL quarterback. I'm not sure. No, I just give him a hard time, but no, listen, here's the thing. It's an easy one isn't it Gregory Rousseau like as a boomer or a a bus candidate? Like, you know, there was a lot of, you know, written about his sack production. And a lot of that of the analysts were, were trying to explain why it was more of a fluke than not. So if you, if you watch his tape and you see the fact that, you know, maybe he conveniently falls into a lot of sacks, it's easy to kind of put him in this category, but see, the benefit that Chris Sims doesn't have is he he's not around him. He's not in the building. He hasn't been out at practice. And I think that some of the concerns that he has for, for Rousseau, I feel like those concerns were eased for me, getting a chance to be around him a little bit, watching him work on the practice field, and more importantly, hearing how those that are around him, his coaches and, and his teammates, how they're talking about him. And you can't teach size. Like, I know that, you know, for all the Kwame Browns in the world, and I'm sure we can find a bunch of football uh, player examples of, uh, you know, just athletic freaks that just, it just didn't materialize for them. I think you go in with an advantage when you're able to just physically outperform your opponent. And I think that from an athletic standpoint, I've been impressed for, with Rousseau with his ability to to flash athleticism on the edge, which I wasn't expecting. And so I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. And the cool thing about Rousseau is he's a value pick. You make that pick when your roster is set and you have the time to give a young player to develop. And, you know, we've seen it with, you know, Ed Oliver in a lot of ways. Uh, there hasn't been a lot of pressure on him, even Jermaine Edmonds for as much pressure as there's been from the fan base at times, there never has felt that pressure in the building. And I think that the bills do a really good job of that is insulating these guys to the point where they feel like they can have the time to develop a Harrison Phillips, who misses a big chunk of his second season has the time to come back and have a bounce back year three before a big year four before. And it's, you know, instead of maybe a team, saying, you know what, we don't have time to wait. We need a producer right now. You're gone next. You know what I mean? I think that's a lot of the Justin Zimmer camp that's out there is, all right, we didn't see enough from Harrison Phillips last year. Justin Zimmer had a couple of good games. He's in, Phillips out, let's move on. The Bills aren't structured that way, and they don't run their organization that way.
1: No, not at all. And, and you know, one more thing on Rousseau. Coaching matters, and Eric Washington has a track record of success with defensive linemen scheme fit matters. A lot of his production at Miami the, uh, in 2019, it did come from being kicked inside in certain plays. The Bills can use him on the inside of that defensive line on obvious pass rush situations. You have Hughes, Addison, Epineza, some combination of that trio on your outside. You have him next to Ed Oliver, and and he can have the similar type of success that he had at Miami from the inside, taking on some of those uh, interior offensive lineman and possibly using that size and speed and athleticism to get to the quarterback in that role as well.
2: Exactly. Spin uh, 0481, very popular in the YouTube chat. You still have to beat your guy to fall quote unquote into sacks. And that is very correct. I think that he's going to be hard to handle. And I think that's what you want. I think Boogie Basham and his motor is going to be hard to handle how that materializes and the impact they have in year one, that remains to be seen but that there's also been roster construction by Brandon Bean and company to make sure that there are veterans aplenty on the interior and exterior so that if these some of these players need some more time, they'll have it. And I, I think they do a really good job of that. Final thoughts, Ryan Talbot. We're going to get out of here shortly, uh, but uh, I want to give you the floor. If you have anything, you have to get off your chest Scott, before I give a final announcement
1: yeah sure final thoughts you know training camp just around the corner thank goodness that's when we can get more looks at greg rousseau and we can get more looks at boogie bash and we can give you updates on how they're doing and how everyone else is doing this is that that downtime right now and it drives me crazy i'm i'm just ready for training camp i ready for bill's news i'm ready to cover this team so it'll be here before we know it bill's mafia
2: um, yeah, I, I was looking at my, the Miami dolphins put out their, their training camp schedule yesterday. I retweeted it. And I think some people were like, Hey, what are you doing? Why are you retweeting the dolphins? Cause I was just amazed. I got 12 open practice dates, uh, down there in Miami. And I just thought, man, what a bummer for bills fans. I mean, after all these years to have this team with this much talent and you're looking at maybe two, three open days of training camp and it's such a bummer. And obviously we've talked about the, uh, the issues that we deal with from a media perspective and what we're able to report. Um, so that kind of stinks, but yeah, I just kind of bummed out about that and I love seeing all you guys out there and, you know, fans coming up to me, talking some bills, whether, you know, at St. John Fisher, obviously out at, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the spots around town and, you know, at the practice facility. But uh, if you do want to see me and talk some bills, I'm going to be out and about tomorrow. I think I might even bring some of these shout shirts, just in case somebody's out and wants to say hello, uh, I'm going to be doing play-by-play for a basketball creator event. Kind of off the wall, uh, my cousin, Mark Coppola, he played uh, college basketball at Damon High School, Winsville South. Uh, Buffalo guy, he was with the Dallas Mavericks for about a year uh, coaching uh, there before coming back to Buffalo and starting this new company. It's called Buffalo Cold Rush and basically it's the highlight talent in Buffalo, basketball talent. And he's he's put together a team of five Buffalo-based basketball players, high flyers. It's kind of like there's going to be some dunks, and they're going to go against the top five national basketball creators on TikTok, over 5 million followers combined, and they're going to get together at St. Mary's in Lancaster. It's going to be a high-flying show. I'm going to be on the call with Marcel Louis-Jacques, so you get two for the price of one. Come out and meet some uh, Bills reporters. We'll talk some Bills with you in between uh, periods. I'll bring some shout shirts. I think it's 20 bucks at the door. I'm going to be doing play-by-play. It's going to be a fun time. I like getting back out into the community now that we can do it. Uh, and then, obviously, we'll be. We'll have some events, too, of our own, hopefully, as we get closer to training camp. But if you're in Buffalo you want to come out and say what's up, it's going to be a fun time. They're expecting 500 in there. Uh, so get there earlier. I think it starts at 7 o'clock. I'm excited about it. Um, Ryan Talbot, I am Matt Perino. This has been Shout, a Buffalo Bills football podcast brought to you by Topps Friendly Markets, your neighborhood store with more. We will see you next week. Ryan, we got a couple things in the works here. We're going to have some good shows these next couple weeks.